Isn't that cool? I love stuff like that. I really do. I'm sure many of you have seen that video before, a video like it, but man, I love stuff like that because it puts things in perspective, you know? In the grand scope of how big the galaxy is, how big creation is, my fears, my troubles, my worries, they just don't, they don't seem to matter as much. It's not that they don't matter, but it just puts things in perspective. Watching videos like this remind me of two things. One, as I already said, how small I am. But then two, how big and how great God is. I feel that way watching this video. I also feel that way when I'm out in nature. Now, I grew up about maybe hour, hour and a half outside of Lake Tahoe, and so my family would vacation there often, but, you know, as a kid growing up, it's easy to take that type of thing for granted of just how beautiful that is. Uh, a few months ago, Lexi, I, and my family were able to take a vacation to Lake Tahoe. It was the first time I've been back in maybe like five, six years. And one day we took a hike to the top of a waterfall that overlooked Emerald Bay. It was, we didn't, I wish I could have taken this picture. I am not that talented. This is one I found on the internet. <laughs> but it's at least very close uh, to what we saw. And similar feelings of, I am small, but God is big rose up inside of me. And I think it's good to gain perspective like this in our lives every once in a while. Because like I said, it's very easy for the things right in front of us to become the only things that we notice. Our duties, our jobs, school, our fears, our anxieties. And it's not to say that these things don't matter, but it's also good to gain perspective. For us as Christians, it's especially good to gain perspective on something uh, that Joshua Sanders mentioned in the worship set, the ways that God has moved and worked in our lives. In the video we watched, the camera did something called zooming out. It kept zooming out and zooming out to uncover more of the grand scope of the universe. And for us, too, it's important every once in a while to zoom out on our lives and observe the ways that God has worked in our, pra- in our past and is working in our present as well. And that's what our psalmist does in our psalm today. We are going to be in Psalm 105. You can start flipping there in your Bibles now. Scroll there on your electronic version. Both are perfectly valid. Our psalmist is most likely David, and as, uh, once again, as Joshua mentioned, he recounts much of Israel's history and how God worked through it. He was able to zoom out on his life and observe the ways that God has been working. I really like reading through the psalms. The psalms have such a good way of revealing foundational truths about God, about the universe, about our situation in very profound ways. And don't get me wrong, it's not that the Psalms are simplistic or dumbed down. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's a good to be reminded of foundational truths 
as well. If you've ever worked in Nova Kids or the pre-K room or even in toddlers, maybe you've experienced this. Because in those rooms, we, we teach the foundational truths about God. And for me, as uh, a volunteer sometimes in Nova Kids, it's good to sit down and be reminded of things like God's love, God's forgiveness, the magnitude of who God is. And so, the, the main point about our psalm is foundational but it's incredibly profound and something that we should be reminded of regularly. So I'm going to read our psalm for us. Please follow along. Just a a brief heads up. It is lengthy. Uh, Like I said, it covers about 500 years of Israel's history. But stick with me because the overall message is profound, and we'll discuss that afterwards. This is Psalm 105, starting in verse 1. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You his servants, the descendants of Abraham. His chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit." When they were but few in number, few indeed and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles, his neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob resided as a foreigner in the land of Ham, The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servant. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark, for had they not rebelled against his words. He turned their waters into blood, causing their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs, which went up in their bedrooms of the rulers. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He turned their rain into hail with lightning throughout their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees in their country. He spoke, and locusts came, grasshoppers without number. They ate up every green thing in their land and ate 
up the produce of their soil. Then he struck down all their firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their manhood. He brought out Israel, laden with silver and gold, and from among their tribes no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left because dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. They asked and he brought them quail. He fed them well with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a river in the desert. For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nation, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for. And they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Woo! So that's kind of a weird psalm, right? It's really strange, because usually psalms are very poetic. They talk about who God is what the psalmist is experiencing and how it relates to God and the human condition. But this psalm was mostly history. It was a lot of history. But the overall message of this psalm is profound. I think the the, the best thesis or the best way to encapsulate this psalm comes from verses 1 and 5. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. As I already mentioned, the psalmist zooms out, not on just his life, but the entire history of Israel, and sees how God is working and moving, and has worked and moved in Israel. Therefore, the thesis of the psalm is simple yet profound. Remembering what God has done for us leads us to praise him. Remembrance leads to praise. And at this point, I need to take a step outside of our text and ask, do you ever take a step back? Do you take notice of the ways that God is working in your life? Because he is. The many blessings that he gives you because he does bless you. Even if times may feel difficult, struggles, it's not pushing those aside, but ignoring the ways that God blesses you is equally not a good thing. Here's a few examples that apply to most of us. You live in one of the most desirable areas, not in just California, not in just America, but the world. If you make more than $37,000 as a household, you are in the top 1% wealthiest people in the world. I think that statistic is correct. If it's not, I'm at least very close. You have a community of like-minded people here at Nova who love and care for each other. It's good to take a step back and remember the ways that God works in our lives to remember what he has done for us. But why should we 
remember what God has done for us? It may seem like a very simple question, and it is, but um, talking this out is incredibly important as well. You see, in our psalm today, the psalmist also tells us why we should remember what God has done for us. It comes in verses 8 through 11. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as a portion you inherit. So why should we remember what God has done for us? Because he remembers us. The history of this psalm begins all the way back in Genesis 12 and 15 with the Abrahamic covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant, God came to a man named Abram. He would later be called Abraham. Told him in Genesis 12 that I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and from your line all nations will be blessed. And then in Genesis 15... He also adds on that I am going to give you the land of Canaan. And as we work through the history of our psalm, we see that God does just that. God remembers us. He remembers his promises to us. And this isn't something that's just isolated to Israel, but it applies to us who are Gentiles as well. You see, from the line of Abraham... Some couple thousand years later came Jesus, who came incarnate on the earth, lived a perfect life, died an unjust death, and was resurrected on our behalf so that we may no longer be slaves to sin. Why do we remember what God has done for us? It's because he remembers us. He remembers us first. And God even institutes many examples to remember <clears throat> what he has done. In the, in the Old Testament, God instituted many festivals for the Jewish people to practice in remembrance of the things that he has done. We have the festival of booths, which commemorated God providing for the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. There's the, there's the festival of Hanukkah, which commemorates the Maccabean Revolution and God delivering the Israelites from the oppressive Greek authorities. And then the one we're probably most familiar with, the festival of Passover, which commemorates the Exodus, which remembers what God did as he led his people out of slavery in Egypt. God institutes a lot of different ways to remember what he has done. And once again, this is not something that is just isolated to Israel, to the Jewish people, but it applies to us. It applies to the New Testament as well. Last week we practiced the Lord's Supper, in which we ate bread together. We drank from a, the cup together in remembrance of what 
Christ did through his death and resurrection. God gives us examples, gives us standards of what it looks like to remember what he has done. And notice, notice, notice that remembering in these examples was not some sort of, I don't know, arbitrary acknowledgement of what God has done. Kind of like, oh yeah, God led us out of Egypt. That was cool. It's nothing, it's, it's nothing like that. You see, remembering requires a response. Through these festivals, there were times of deep reverence. There were feasts, there were pilgrimages. When we uh, partake in the Lord's Supper, we eat bread. We drink from a cup. It's a full body experience. It requires all of us. It requires a response, and even more so, more than these more ritualistic things, and I'm not saying that uh, the festivals or the Lord's Supper is purely ritual, but I think you understand what I'm getting at. There are other things that we are commanded to do when we remember what God has done for us. In our psalm today, in verse 1, it advocates for praise of God. Remember what God has done leads us to praise him. That is a right response. It should be our first response when we remember what God has done in our lives. But there's even more. Second Thessalonians 2 advocates for a life of continual prayer. James 1 and 2 advocates for service of others in response of what God has done. And if you aren't familiar, we have many wonderful service opportunities that you can easily jump in on. Feeding the Hungry, Laundry Love, uh, the Mexico House Build, which by the way, save the dates in your folder. Check that out. There's the Lydia House. Even just this past week, one of the members of our worship team started to go play music at the nursing homes nearby. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. Even in our psalm today, once again, in verse 1, it, pro- it states to proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. It's advocating for evangelism. Remembrance of what God has done is not simply an arbitrary acknowledgement. Remembrance requires a response. Our final point for today is when we remember what God has done in our lives, in history for that matter, we must remember that he is sovereign. Sovereign uh, means that God is all-powerful, that he is in, ultimately in control of everything. And that's a, that's a very difficult thing for us to remember when times are rough, when things aren't going well. It's difficult to remember, but nevertheless, we must remember that God is sovereign, that he ultimately has all things in his control because, and I'm not saying that God places suffering in our lives. I'm also saying that it doesn't happen. It's, it's, it can go either way. But what I do know for sure and what scripture makes known to us is that God can use suffering, can use the difficult times in our lives for his greater purposes. He can twist it in a way. We have another example of this in verses 17 and 22 of our text, which states, 
he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent him and released him. The rulers, or the ruler of people, set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. For those of you who don't know what's being referred to here, this is the story of Joseph. And I'll give you a brief, brief synopsis of this story. Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob was Abraham's grandson. So these are the very first people of Israel. These are the very first Israelites. And uh, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And this made his brothers incredibly jealous. So much so that they sold his brother, their brother into slavery. Yikes. And as a slave, he eventually made his way into the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was a very um, prominent official in Egypt at that time. And while a slave there, Potiphar's wife started making some sexual advances at Joseph with Joseph turned aside. This made Potiphar's wife incredibly angry, so much so that she falsely accused Joseph of trying to rape her. And so he was thrown in prison unjustly. Now, I cannot think of a much worse circumstance than this. I'm sure if I got creative, I probably could. But nevertheless, it's a really, really bad situation. (laughs) Sold into slavery by your own family. Falsely accused of a crime and thrown in prison unjustly. And yet God works this for the greater good, not just for Joseph, but for his people. Because you see, uh, at that time while Joseph was in prison, Pharaoh started to have some troubling dreams. And it was very common to have other people interpret your dreams back in that time. But Pharaoh's servants, his wise people, couldn't do so. Word came around that Joseph, because he had God with him, was able to interpret these dreams. And so he did so. This caused Pharaoh to trust Joseph. So much so that he released him from prison. But not only that, he made him in charge of his entire palace. That's that's almost at the very pinnacle of power in Egypt. It ended up working out for Joseph, but not only that, since God was with Joseph, God made it known to Joseph that there was uh, an incoming famine in the land and to stockpile food so that he and the people of Egypt don't starve, in which he did so. Now Joseph's family, the ones who sold him into slavery, were living on the outskirts of Egypt. They were very much a victim to this famine. They heard that Egypt had food. And so they went to Egypt. They, they, to put it short, they got reunited with Joseph. Joseph had mercy on them, and they survived the famine. You see, God remembered his people. God remembered his promise that the people of Abraham were going to be a great nation. 
that he sustained them through the famine so that they could eventually inherit the land of Canaan, so that they could eventually be the people in which Christ comes to the world. Remembering what God does for us means we must remember that he is sovereign, that he is in control. And like I said, it's incredibly difficult to do that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of challenges, hardships. As we, as we begin to close out our time, I'm going to give you a, um, a very personal example of this, just as another illustration. I've been very upfront and, you know, don't hide the fact that I have what has been diagnosed as an acute anxiety disorder slash panic attack disorder. So if you've heard me talk about that, sorry, you're going to hear me talk about it again. Um, and, and what that basically means is, I mean, I get anxious really, really easy. Things, things can trigger me of... Um, yeah, deep anxiety, and it's, and it's not just, oh, I get nervous, it's, it can be very crippling, um, where, I, where, I, where I can't function, I can't leave the house, I can't focus on anything. It messes with, you know, my stomach, it has, it, whatever. All that to say, it's, it's significantly better today than it has been in the, in the past. Thank good, thank God for therapy and medication, other things that he gives us to help deal with this. Um, the time that it was at its worst, though, was in college. It was right when I was discovering that I had this, I had this mental disorder. Um, and I won't get into the reasons of why, but it, it, was, it was really dark. It was anxiety attacks from the moment I got up in the morning till um, I would go to sleep at night for months on end. There were times when I couldn't leave the house. There were, I developed legitimate obsessive compulsive disorder, not in the sense of like, oh my goodness, I'm so OCD. It's not, nothing like, it's, I, I had a routine of things that I had to touch in my apartment before I could leave the house. Um, I, I worked as a janitor as a church in college, and I often did lockup at this church. And it, it should have taken about 10 minutes to do, but I obsessively had to keep checking doors to make sure they were locked. And at times it would take an hour, hour and a half to do so, just going through the church over and over again. Um, there were even times when... I remember digging my fingernails into my arm or my legs to the point of, like, drawing blood in, <laughs> in, the, in the hopes that physical pain would distract me from what I was feeling mentally. It, it was a dark time. But in the midst of that, I would try different things to, to cope with this anxiety, to cope with this this crippling fear that I always had. Um, talking with other people helped. Um, going on long walks would help, but at its worst, it, it didn't. Talking with other people didn't help. I would walk for miles and miles until my feet were all blistered. Nothing. 
And eventually I hit what I, what, I, what I call rock bottom, where everything was stripped away. I had no coping mechanisms. The things that worked in the past weren't working anymore. And what I discovered was that even in rock bottom, God was there. I remember very specifically thinking at its worst, well, I could continue to try and cope with this on my own and continue to spiral, or those things that I've been learning in church and Sunday school, that I can lay my worries on God, that I can lay my anxieties at his feet, that I have hope in him, that I have hope that my anxiety isn't going to be forever. Maybe not in this life, but in the resurrected life. And so I did. I leaned into this. I can honestly say that at this point in my life, it was the deepest time of anxiety, but it was also the deepest time of intimacy and closeness with God because I had nothing else. So, how does this relate to our message today? That anxiety sucked, and it sucks to this day. But if I were to zoom out on that time in my life, I don't know if I would have learned what true intimacy, what true trust in God, what uh, 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 trust in that hope, what it truly means, unless I went through that. You'd see it worked for the greater good. I would not have come to that place. Otherwise, God used that suffering, that hardship in my life for the greater good, for my greater good. Remembering what God has done for us in our lives means we have to remember that he is sovereign, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of some very dark moments of our lives. Yeah, that. So as we close today, I would encourage you, sometime this week, take about a half hour, maybe even more, to think back on what God is, do, ha, is doing and has done in your life. The way that he has shaped your life in the past. Remember all of the incredible things that he has done for you. And also remember the ways that he has worked through the difficult times in your life as well. And remember that remembrance requires a response on our end. Most notably and most importantly, our unconditional and full praise of God. Amen?